Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com. That is still the URL, at Braden Gall. And, of course, on Blue Sky, which I believe is now available to everybody, at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. And if Blue Sky is available, I guess I have to sign up for it now. <laughs> and I'm Emma Lingen from the Hockey Writers. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Emma underscore Lingen. And I guess maybe I got to jump on the blue sky train too. It does feel like old Twitter a little bit. Like I'm creating it, an account right now. Are you really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it does. It it does honestly feel like old Twitter a little bit. Like it's like, I don't mind scrolling. The menchies are nice and calm. Like it doesn't feel like a sewer. It feels kind of like Twitter circa 2011 back before it got all shitty. Um, so uh, we got a lot of stuff to do today on the show. Not t- just not the least of which is discussing social media platforms, but um Obviously, we've got 31 games. We've had the All-Star break. And while we can discuss for an hour, if we want, how good Yaroslav Askarov was in the AHL All-Star game, or Philip Forsberg, or Justin Bieber's coat, uh, we're going to look forward at the 31 games, and we're going to lay out, each of us, the things we want to see the team do over the course of the next 31 games. Uh, Then we'll have some fun making fun of the Blackhawks. Uh, Or maybe not. Maybe it's anger at the NHL for not making fun of the Blackhawks. We'll do that a little bit later on. It's Michael Gallagher's favorite pastime. Uh, Before we do, Mike, before we do, uh, the gold standard is brought to you by the great people over at Jaspers. That's right. Great people over at Jaspers. We do appreciate their support over the years. They've been a great partner with us. And so they support the Predators. They support this show. You like the Predators. You like this show. So go to Jaspers. Free parking. Free game room, great food, great menu, great drink specials, just great everything. Great across the board. Um, just fantastic, which I'm assuming, Emma, is very similar to the day you've been having today. Um, we were going to record like 45 minutes ago, and we couldn't because you were locked out of your building? Yeah, it's yeah, it's been a fantastic day. Um, <laughs> so I left <laughs> left the building with no problems. I uh, had to drop my dog off at the groomer. So we get a guaranteed bark free show today so that's a plus um if you listen to the show you would think that she is a very loud dog like i swear the one bark that you'll hear during the show is the only time she'll bark all day but of course it has to be during this but anyway she is off getting pampered right now uh my apartment building has like a key fob access and I went to get back in the building and I looked like an idiot because I was walking around trying every single door. People probably thought I was trying to break in or something. <laughs> uh, and then I eventually had to go uh, throw myself on the the mercy of the leasing office and get them to give me a new fob. So apologize for being late, but you know, we're here now. Uh, Michael or Emma, either of you ever been locked out, uh, like ran out of gas? I want to know how many I want to poll question on the show. How many people have run out of gas like outside of a gas station or at your house, like driving around ever happened? Yes. It actually, oh. it happened to me when I was back in Kentucky and it happened right when I got into a spot on the highway where there was no cell service. So I had to push my car a mile to get to a gas station. Wow, that is quite a workout, a whole like a mile of pushing a car uphill, yeah. both well, uphill both ways. I mean, I'm a pretty big, strong dude. So luckily my car, I drove, a, I drove a Chrysler LeBaron, which is one of the least intimidating cars you could imagine. So it was, it was pretty light compared to other cars, but yeah, it was not, it was not a good time pushing a car a mile. I had to throw it in neutral and be gentle with pushing it because I was on the shoulder and then it, luckily no cars came by, but I had to make sure I didn't like steer it into the guardrail or anything. And it was, it was not how I wanted to spend a Saturday morning. 
we are going to talk predators today on the show, but I, I have a purpose for asking this question. But number one, the only thing I think of when I hear a Chrysler Baron is the cake song where he's where she's going the distance. She's trading in her MG for a white Chrysler Baron. Like, that's the only thing I think of. That's probably too old for, for Emma to even. She's looking at me crazy right now. Like, she doesn't know what the band cake is. You, I want a girl with a short skirt and a long jacket. You don't know cake. Come on. I, I know that I know the band like i know the name of the band but i i am not familiar she's with going the distance <laughs> i believe you oh, take your word man. for it oh that's that is i feel unbelievably old right now that is like a, they're, they're one of the ugliest cars that are that have ever been created yeah. so the only reason i had it was because it was convertible and i was 16 and it was cool to have a convertible so that that song was as famous as like tracy chapman fast song so we need a, a we need a country star to bring back cake to make them popular with the young folk, apparently, is what we need to do. Um, so I had a purpose of asking you about running out of gas. Uh, have we ever locked ourselves out of a car before, either one of you? Yes. Okay, I've done it. I did it once. Like, that was, like, a long, long time ago. Have you ever jumped into the pool with a cell phone in your pocket? Jumped? No. Been pushed? Yes. Oh, that no, doesn't count. I did launder my cell phone one time unintentionally just was like taking the sheets off my bed didn't realize my phone was uh, on the bed and just threw it all in there and by the time i realized it it was too late so that was really nice and embarrassing when i had to go to the verizon store and explain what happened to my phone all right i'll count that one because i definitely didn't <laughs> i definitely did it in college but also i'm so old that they were not smartphones at that point it was like a flip phone and so I, i'm curious which what is worse locked out of your building doesn't sound like it was your fault locked out of your car Running out of gas, washing slash jumping into a pool with your cell phone. What's worse? I feel like jumping into a pool with your cell phone because that's kind of on you. You can't. I mean, yeah, if you run out of gas, that's kind of on you, too. But like, I feel like if you <laughs> if you jump into a pool with your phone, like that's kind of your fault. If you run out of gas, like someone else could have borrowed your car. Like there's other reasons to explain it. OK, I, I just I think for me, just being without my phone like if i got locked out of my building today okay like i had my keys i had like i could get to my car i could go somewhere yeah god forbid if i needed to but like if i don't have my phone that's <laughs> like i'm like cut off from civilization i remember when i did that when i threw my phone in the washing machine i had to get on my computer and email my mom so she knew that i was alive because she would have sent out a search party if she didn't hear from me uh, so yeah <laughs> well like i said i promise we'll talk preds but uh sounds like we've all had our embarrassment embarrassing moments i jumped into a pool you washed your phone and michael <laughs> ran out of gas and had to push his car a mile so uh either way all our fun activities for everybody and uh equally as fun will be the trade deadline for the national predators so i don't know i wasn't i don't know how i was going to segue out of that conversation i just thought we'd I thought we'd have some fun here at the front of the show before we get into uh, the, the <laughs> last 31 games of Predators hockey that that who knows what they're going to be like. So they're going to start with Arizona and New Jersey and Dallas all at home, barring six points and three straight wins. I, I think we kind of know what's coming for this team over the final 31 games. And I want to get you guys to sort of explain um, what exactly we want to see this franchise do over the course of these next 31 games. Now, let me set the scene uh, here first. They have 54 points. They have 31 games to go. Last year, Seattle had 100 points as a wildcard team, and Winnipeg had 95 points as a wildcard team. To get to 95 points, they would need 41 more points. That's a 20-10 and 1 record over 31 games. So 20-10 and 1 just to get to 95 points. That's a pretty impressive clip. Definitely better than they've done all year. Even the 13-3 and three chunk there. 
to get to Seattle's 100 points from last year, they would need 46 points and they would have to go 22, seven and two. 22, seven and two. So all of this is sort of setting us all up here. <laughs> like just, I want to make sure before we, you know, kill everyone's optimism or excitement about the second half or, Hey, they're rested. They're not exhausted anymore. You see sorrows is going to be great. I don't want to like destroy everyone's happiness and joy. I don't want to suck the fun out of all Predators fans' lives. But just think about those numbers for a second to get to a playoff spot. They have to win almost two out of every three games they play for the rest of the season. Not just for a week or two, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that's that's a little too much to ask considering the, the strength of the schedule they have. I mean, two of their first three games are against New Jersey and Dallas. And then you have St. Louis, who's right above them in the wild card standings, and then Vegas and then L.A., you get a couple of easy games with San Jose and Anaheim, Ottawa, but then you jump right back in Colorado. Like it, they, they have a lot of really tough teams coming down the stretch and to, to expect them to come out of that with anywhere close to, to 20 wins and out of those 31 games, I think is a little unreasonable. Yeah, especially based on the performance through the first 51 games, there's no reason to believe that they're suddenly, you know, after one week off are going to come back like a new team and just go on a run and win 20 games. I think it's might be a little lofty to expect that. So I want to get you guys to explain what you want to see the franchise do with those numbers in mind. But before we do, I want you guys both to sort of tell everybody what you're working on, because Emma, you did a deep dive into the mm-hmm. entire first 51 games, evaluating every player. And Mike, I, I know you've got a lot of stuff on the trade deadline. So Emma, we'll go with you first. What did you, through your exercise, you don't have to give it all away. Go subscribe to Hockey Writers, of course, is the website. But what did you learn? What was your big takeaway from sort of evaluating every player on the Preds through 51 games? You know, I think it was it was a nice challenge for me. I mean, a challenge that I brought on myself, but I think it was good to see that, you know, it's kind of a sliding scale for these players because certain players are going to be, they're going to have different expectations than others. So it wasn't, you know, like a player like Colton Sissons is going to have different expectations than Luke Evangelista. And so I kind of tried to adjust the grades that way. Um, and, you know, I'm sure anyone who reads this will wholeheartedly agree with me on every single thing that <laughs> I said. And my grading scale will not be controversial at all, um, especially when they see the grade I gave Cole Smith. <laughs> Go subscribe. Um, I think that there is you know, there's a lot to be said, you know, it's all relative. So I think my biggest takeaway was like, it was almost looking at, you know, what are the grades relative to expectations for those players relative to how they were last year, relative to their salary, you know, how much money are they making? Um, and are they contributing enough, you know, to be kind of worth that? I mean, that was the biggest thing last year with like Orion Johansson, for example, that he was making $8 million and was not producing $8 million worth of offense, which is what he had been signed to do. And so I think that, you know, kind of looking at things, value of contracts uh, and, and different things like that, a lot of it was, you know, I never thought before this year that I would be grading players like Jeremy Lausanne near the top of the grading scale and then you know, Cody glass at the bottom and, and it's hard. This is nothing against these guys as people. Uh, but you know, it really is just kind of my biggest takeaway is a lot of guys are outperforming expectations, but at the same time, a lot of guys are not 
living up to them. And so I had to, you know, kind of take that into account when giving them grades. Are you like the easy professor? Like, did you give any D's or F's or are you like the, like a super hard professor? How did it, how did that go? So I, I'll be honest. I, well, I didn't give any F's. The lowest grade anyone got was a D. Um, so I think I'm, I'm Soft. nice. I'm nice in that sense. <laughs> Luke Shen. Yeah. Well, he, <laughs> Luke Shen may have had a D, um, but I think that looking at, you know, I, I definitely tend to grade harsher, I feel like. So I actually went through initially, like didn't write anything and just like top of my head, like what's the first grade yeah. that comes to mind for each of these guys. And I went through and did them. And then I kind of went back and looked at it and I was like, some of these are kind of harsh. Like some of these are kind of mean or like, <laughs> you know, like if this player has a D, does this other player deserve a D? Like it just kind of relative to each other. So I did go back and make some, some adjustments here and there. Um, the curve, you know, that's the curve. Yeah. Yeah. It's the curve. And some of the players are just ruining the curve for everyone else, just like in <laughs> school. So, uh, yeah, I think overall I was pretty fair, but again, gotta go subscribe to the hockey writers and feel free to argue with me, even though I'm unequivocally correct on all my evaluations. <laughs> And and Michael, uh, Nashville Hockey Now, of course, go check them out. Go get a subscription as well. You're all, you're all over one of my number one bullet points today on the show, and uh, that is that there are lots of rumors floating around right now about Alexander Carrier. Yeah, I think I think we all expect Tyson Berry to be traded at some point, but Dante Fabro, Alex Carrier, two other defensemen that I think have some interest on the trade market. Um, and Barry Trotz has made it known that anything he does will be to to make the Predators a better team. Uh, so I don't think you're going to see like Carrier get traded for a bag of peanuts or anything. But if there is an offer out there that would kind of blow his socks off, I think he would be inclined to take that. Um, go to Nashville Hockey Now and read the story uh, put up there. Elliot Friedman mentioned that the Edmonton Oilers could be interested in him. I know Thomas Trance of the Athletics said that the Canucks are in need of a right-handed puck-moving defenseman. Alex Carrier kind of fits that bill as well. So I kind of put some information there about each respective situation, how the cap plays into it, because both teams are very close to the cap floor. So they would have to wait closer to the deadline with the the uh, with salary accruing and stuff like that. So if you want to find out exactly how much Alex Carrier's salary is going to be for the rest of the year, what it would cost to acquire him, go read that. Uh, we also have some, a couple other pieces coming out with no games until Saturday. Uh, Russell. Finozzi, uh, our newest writer at Nashville Hockey Now, he's working on a three players who've uh, most overachieved and most underachieved through the first 51 games of the season. Um, we'll have a retrospective looking at how the 2022 trade deadline deals, how those have played out for the Predators and kind of how some of the players they traded have played with their new teams and what the assets that the Predators got back, how how those deals have kind of shook out. Um, I'll also have my my analysis of Andrew Burnett and how his system has worked looked through the first 51 games still kind of uh, crossing some T's and dotting some I's on that. So we'll have a bunch of stuff going up there throughout the rest of the week. And then once we have games on Saturday, again, we'll have regular game coverage. Uh, by the way, Emma, you mentioned Lausanne being graded. All, I know the NHL like reevaluated their hit statistics during the break and like went back and like checked every single game <clears throat> film, I guess. Uh, according to Hockey Reference, he is leading the NHL with 200 hits on the season so far. Uh, Cal Clutterbuck is number two at 147. He has 53 more hits than the next player in the NHL. By the way, your boy, intra intrapod uh rivalry here, Cole Smith in the top 10 as well with 130 hits. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, so 
that's interesting. I saw that that he had that many more than Clutterbuck. Did you see how many more hits he has than the next defenseman on the list? It's like 75. It's ridiculous. Oh so, yeah, I mean, hitting isn't everything, but you know, I think he that and that's what I look at in this. Yes, he hits a lot of people and that's great, but he's compared to last year, he's gotten a lot more disciplined and ter- I look at his penalties drawn versus penalties right. taken and, you know, different ways he has contributed on offense and things like that. So, yeah. I'm just I'm just so glad I feel like Lozon I feel like he really embodies that that when you think of Smashville, I think you think of Jeremy Lozon. It's nice to have for them to have a player that kind of fits what the Predators were built on 10 years ago. Uh Tanner's you know by the way also in the top 10, a player that also is very like a large, tall version of Jordan Tutu, who can also score goals. So, um, I, I believe Tanner Janot has less points than uh, Cole Smith does, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, 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 are you changing teams? Are you on? The if you Cole if Smith you team? listen, if you listen to what I said last week, I, I said I said I was hard on Cole Smith, but the coaching change and how he's played this year, he has earned his keep on this roster. So no, I, I wasn't, I was never anti Cole Smith. I was my my argument was there are prospects that should be playing. And there's guys like Cole Smith that I didn't feel like were contributing. However, I have had new information and I've watched this this season play out. And I think Cole Smith is a fine player right now. New shit has come to light, man. This is what you pay me for. No, I'm just trying to get you guys into a fight. That's all. I think it's good content. I'm all. I'm, I'm never going to fight someone content. over Cole Smith. I, that, 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 that just seems redundant. Hey, I have enough people on social media calling me all kinds of names because I say nice things about Cole Smith. So I don't need Michael to right. start fighting me either. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, all right. Maybe this is why I need to go to Blue Sky, get away from ugly Twitter and go back to nice Twitter. Not. What's the name? Does anyone know the name of the actual, like, you know how you, it used to be called a tweet, right? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't care. What What is the Blue Sky? What is it called? Is it a, a skeet? A toot? What exactly is it called? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, do you, not, do you not know? Do you not know these things? I don't. I don't know. I I am officially on Blue Sky now. Update. Just it went through like ten minutes did ago. You, did you send your first toot yet? <laughs> I did not. I've not tooted yet. So it's a skeet, is what it is. A skeet. skeet. <laughs> Which fourteen year old me uh, thinks of something totally different. But just just call uh, it a post. It's, it's a, a post. slang term comprised of the, the sky and tweet mixed together. Is skeet. <laughs> Better, I think Mastodon. I think Toot was Mastodon. Uh, I think oh that was God. a social social media platform <laughs> where you could just go over there and toot your light, toot your heart, to your heart's content. Okay, uh, I, go to Jasper's, am, everybody. I'm 12 years old. I can't stop laughing at Toot. <laughs> uh, but like, if you're a marketing person, like, aren't you like, are you doing that on purpose? At that point, you're like, no, we're going to call it a Toot. You're in a meeting with a bunch of people, and you're like, no, we're going to call it a Toot because everyone's going to think it's stupid and hilarious. Like you can't I, honestly have come up with that idea in, a, in like a real serious faced way, right? No, I could not present that in a board meeting with a straight face. Like here, I'm a college educated, you know, I've got two degrees. I work very hard for this company. And now I'm going to stand up here and say toot in front of everyone. <laughs> like, no, I can't do it. Uh, Mast- here's, a, here's from November of 2022. Mastodon has officially retired the toot, its version <laughs> of the tweet. <laughs> I've never even seen what Mastodon is or how it works. So obviously they did something. I think there's a reason for that. Yeah, they did. R.I.P. R.I.P. to the toot. If you post on threads, what's it called? Like a thread? Is it just a thread? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think it's just a thread. They don't even post those in real time. It's ridiculous. I get more notifications on my Instagram about threads than I do about Instagram. It's because there's nothing on Instagram anymore. It's just pictures of 
ads and random things they want me to see. Anyway, I'm I'm old, touch grass, uh, look at the sky, whatever. Go look at clouds. Um, all right, let's go around the room here. Things we want this team to do. Final 31 games. I, I sort of I sort of left it open ended. I wanted you guys to sort of come up with whatever you wanted. The assignment here was sort of just be bring whatever you want to the table on this. So there's no rules or restrictions or guidelines or structure on what what we can bring up here. I have a feeling we're going to overlap. It might even include the Alexander Carrier article that Michael wrote <laughs> as well. But uh, Emma, we'll start with you just in general. The two or three things each of us want to see this franchise do over the final 31 games. Well, I would say number one, and this is probably going to be a blanket statement that is going to encompass a lot, but I would say priority number one for this team after the all-star break, stop acting like a playoff team. Stop operating like a playoff team. Yes, we know everyone wants to get to the playoffs. Everyone wants to win the Stanley Cup. We need to accept that that is not this team's fate this year. And also remember that it was never supposed to be. Remember at the beginning of this season, you know, we sold everybody off, traded everyone off. We got these new guys who were good last year, the young guys, but we don't really know what they can do for a full season. Um, you know, new head coach, new GM, all kinds of change. And Barry Trotz even said it too before the season said he needs patience from the fans. And this is not going to happen overnight. You know, we're not going into a full tank rebuild, cough, cough, Chicago Blackhawks. But I think he urged fans to be patient, to let this process play out. But then you know, started seeing some kind of signs of life from this team, you know, getting Forsberg is having a career year. Ryan O'Reilly, Gus Nyquist have been great additions and they really brought the best out in each other. And people started to get excited because obviously winning is fun. We all like to win, but I think this team needs to look at themselves in the mirror and admit that they're not a playoff team this year. And once you kind of admit that to yourself, that frees up so much space for experimentation with, you know, different, different things, different guys in the lineup, you know, trades, look at what you need, what you don't need at the trade deadline and, and things like that. And I think, and I'm not, this is not to say don't try, you know, like just throw the games and don't try to win. I think it's, you know, just go out there and play your best. And if that is, you know, obviously that's what's what they've done to this point and it hasn't gotten them. They're out of a playoff spot right now. I know last year we all got excited at the end of the season because they made that sort of unexpected playoff push at the end of the year after everyone was either traded or hurt and they brought up all the young players and that was fun to watch. But I think again, also unexpected and we shouldn't, be acting like that's what we need to be expecting to happen again this year. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think my, my first point kind of matches goes along with that. And that's if you, if you admit that you're not a playoff team, then full on commit to the rebuild. And what I mean by that is trade off any depth piece that you have that you do not think is going to be a legitimate starter for this team two, three years down the road. I'm talking, and there's probably going to be some pushback on this, but I'm talking guys like Jakob Trennan. I don't feel like he really fits with Andrew Burnett's system. He's a great player. He He's very physical. I really like him. 
I just don't think that he, the way he plays the game, you like the physicality, but he doesn't have the speed to play the way Andrew Burnett likes to play. He doesn't have the goal scoring prowess that you would need to thrive in an Andrew Burnett system. Um, so I, I think guys like Trennan, Kiefer Sherwood, uh, who else? Dennis Gurianov, Michael McCarron, I'm kind of on the fence about a little bit. Guys like Luke Shen, obviously Tyson Berry's probably going to be traded here in a little bit. By that, I mean in a couple of days, not in like the next 20 minutes, but guys like that, <laughs> commit fully commit to the rebuild. Trade those guys, get the depth pieces off the roster. That, and that opens up room for you to call up guys like Afanasiev and Spencer Stassi and whoever else you need to, and really start to let the the future of this team take shape. And when you do commit to the rebuild, say you trade someone like a Carrier or a Fabro, get a high-end prospect to build around. And I'm talking someone like a Philip Broberg from Edmonton or an Arthur Kalia from the Kings, someone that is a blue chip prospect to build around. Reed Schaefer was a fine player, former first round pick. I don't really think he's considered he falls in that that blue chip kind of prospect territory, but get someone like a Philip Broberg or Kalia or someone like that to build around. I've been talking to a couple people that are kind of close to the Predators and, and what's going on with the trade deadline stuff. And I feel like this, the sense is the Barry Trotz, the emphasis is more on getting prospects back in any of these trades that he's going to do than draft picks. Prospects trump draft picks in his eyes now because he's got plenty of draft picks. He needs young guys under team control for two, three, four years that he can build around. So fully commit to the rebuild by trading off some of these debt pieces that aren't going to be here in two, three years and bring back a legitimate prospect in one of those trades. So first thing I wrote down was trade everything you can. That's what I wrote down. And I, I don't think some of those names are tradable assets. Uh, is someone trading for Kiefer Sherwood? Sherwood? That's not meant to be disrespectful to Mr. Sherwood. But I don't think anyone's tra- Like, is Luke Shen going to, like, with that contract, or is <clears throat> somebody going to trade for Luke Shen? Oh, no, I, definitely I not. I don't think so. Michael McCarron. I don't think people are trading for that. I do think uh, the four names I wrote down are Kevin Lankinen, Tyson Berry, Dante Fabro, Alex Carrier. I, I would get rid of all of them if you can and build. Because what you're doing is you're playing a numbers game with your prospects. You're, you're, you're throwing as many prospects into the system as possible. You know that a few of them are going to work. You know a few of them aren't going to work, right? Like you are just playing a numbers game at this point. Like if you fully gonna- commit to blowing it up, I would also throw Tommy Novak in there because you, you can actually get value mm. for him. But he's 26. I think he factors into. The team's long term future, yeah. but the, I have heard that there are some teams that are calling about Tommy Novak. If you get an offer that you can't refuse, like Barry Trotz has said with everybody, if you get an offer that's just too good to pass up, I wouldn't be surprised if Novak gets dealt. But I would hold on to him. But I would also put he's a tradable asset too. What's interesting is and I do think Trennan is tradable as well. There's a, there's I, a playoff so. team out there that can use someone with with his kind of physicality. Well, and you have a, a, almost a like for like replacement with Afanasiev, almost like literally. Um, to take his spot. I, I I put Colton Sissons down here too, just because his contract, like he strikes me as a type of player that a, that a cup team fills out its roster with. Like he's a guy that kills penalties, takes face-offs, you know, can score a goal to here or there on a good line. Like he strikes me as a really good glue piece for a Stanley cup contender. So I, maybe you get something for him. Novak is interesting. Cause you want to pay him like $12 million a year. Over like five years, you want to give him like sixty million, Michael. So I don't know if I, I said like five million a year trading that piece, and that but was you know, like very top. I, no, I know, I'm I know. thinking he's a three and a half, four million dollar year player, but no, I'm kidding. One more point I'm on Sissons too. Sissons is under control for two more years after this at two point eight million. He's he's thirty years old, which which is why I don't think he really factors in long term to the future. 
But like you said, he he's the kind of player that Stanley Cup teams round out the yeah. roster with, yeah. and he's the one who can do everything. So he, I think he has a lot of value. I, I agree. Now, Novak is interesting to me. I hadn't thought about him because I do agree that he's kind of part of the future. But you know what he reminds me of now that you've mentioned him? He reminds me of Tanner Janot, like an older guy who kind of came up through the system, got into the lineup, overachieved a little bit, and, and feels like the teams like other teams in the NHL like what they see and maybe overvalue a little bit. Again, they they fleece Tampa Bay for Tanner Janot in terms of picks. So I don't does that does that comparison make sense to you guys? I think yeah. I so I really like Tommy Novak. I personally would keep him, but again, if you can get a Tanner Janot like return for him, then absolutely trade him. Um, you know, I think he obviously had a great year last year. Uh, he has been injured this year, which I think has, I'm sure, factored into his you know, his performance. But one thing I would caution against, though, is that this team, as far as NHL-ready talent, this team does not have a lot of depth at center right now. And so I would be, although last couple games, Andrew Brunette's been having him play on the wing, which, frankly, I don't agree with. But I, I would be wary of getting rid of centers right now. Again, like I don't I don't think that Barry Trotz is out shopping Tommy Novak around, but I think, you know, it take would have call. to be a Oh yeah, take the call. And it would have to be a really good deal though. Yeah, I mean I, I agree. I, I would lean more towards keeping him than I would trading him. But he's one of those guys like Tanner. Like, I don't think the Predators went into the trade deadline last year being like, okay, we're going to trade Tanner Janot. But I think when Tampa calls you and offers you basically a full draft class for Tanner Janot, yeah. you're like, okay, we we, ha- we would be stupid not to take this deal, right? I'm not saying someone's going to offer Barry Trotz that similar package for for Tommy Novak. And and I, I tend to think, look, there, there's a difference between pre-injury Tommy Novak and post-injury Tommy Novak. He had six goals and I believe it was 12 points in like 14 or 15 games before he got injured. He hasn't really done the same since he came back from that injury, but also he was playing the number two center role during that the entire first part of the season. He's come back. He's been the number two center. He's been on the wing. He's been on the third and fourth line. Like he hasn't had any stability either. Like we said the same thing with Parson last week. I think I think the upside for Tommy Novak is a lot better than probably what you're going to get in return for him at the trade deadline. But I'm just saying, don't be surprised if Novak is possibly moved if a trade package like a Geno one comes around for him. I- I don't know if this team is in a position to your point, Michael, about embrace the rebuild and Emma stop lying about what you are. Like, I don't, I don't know if they can afford to say no to any good offer on any player. I mean, including UC Soros, frankly, now maybe that's the one where you say, no, okay, we're, we're going to go with Soros and Ascara for the next four years. And that's the plan. So we can't deviate from the plan, but uh, even moving three defensemen, potentially Barry Fabro and Carrier, like what you're doing is allowing Stasny and Delgado to come up and prove if they belong or not. Like over the course of the next 30 games, Sissons and Novak. Sure. That feels like you'd be getting rid of a lot at one position, but isn't the whole point to develop some centers and, and acquire center prospects. I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing. Well, if, you, with, if you do that, you're basically saying you're giving Cody glass the chance to go out there and prove he's a top six center. And then you're also calling Parson and back up and you kind of have to make it work at center because you don't really have any other options. Well, I, so let's bring me, which brings me to my second point, if I could speak. Uh, elevate all your young players to bigger roles and then remove the pressure. Like, like the part of the reason this team was fun to watch down the stretch last year and why they played well is because they don't think anyone every on any given night, they never went to the rink with pressure. And Emma, you can speak to this. I, I don't think they felt 
Like, you know, maybe they're fighting for some ice time and for job the next year, certainly, but they weren't under pressure to, to make the playoffs. Th that wasn't a nightly thing that the fans were putting on the team or that the media was putting on the team. They might've done it themselves, but I, I don't know. Like, I feel like elevate all these young pieces after trading as many as you can, and then consciously remove that, like, or directly, I don't know what the right term is, remove the pressure from all this mental stuff that we're talking about with Cody Glass or any of these younger players, like remove all that stuff from the equation. Just say, look, you're going to get the ice time, dude. Go out and play. You're going to have some bad shifts. Don't worry about it. And that brings me back to my first point, which is stop operating like a playoff team. That takes the pressure off of these guys. You know, you're not trying to make the playoffs. Doesn't mean you're not trying to play or not trying to win or trying to play well. It just means that, you know, the pressure's off. Just go out there and show us what you can do because that's what this year was supposed to be about anyway with with a lot of these young players and, and new additions to the roster, especially with a new coach and a new GM who was very adamant at the beginning of the season that we need to be patient with this team. So I think that that's one of the big things. Again, like I said, it was going to be a blanket statement, but stop operating like a playoff team because that takes a lot of the pressure off of these younger players, especially. And, and, and Andrew, Andrew Brunette did say uh, before, I believe it was the Kings game right before the break that he was going to need, you know, this team is going to need the young players to start stepping up down yeah. the stretch. And it's like, well, yeah, because you've been working your older players too hard, arguably like expecting too much of them. We talked about this last week that, you know, you're, you're expecting too much of your veterans and kind of sheltering your young players a little too much. And that kind of is, that was going to be my second point is you need to sort of level level the the field there is stop putting too much on the veterans because clearly they were burnt out you know they were hitting a wall brunette even said they were hitting a wall you know by the time you get to the all-star break and and start like you said elevating these younger players into more you know more significant minutes whether that's five on five or on special teams start giving them more opportunities against other teams top lines I understand where Brunette was coming from not wanting to you know you don't want to throw Cody Glass out there against Connor McDavid every night like I get that but sometimes like he's got to otherwise how is he gonna really show if he can be a top six center and that's what this whole year was supposed to be about so that that's kind of yep. I don't know if we were ready to move into the next point, but that was my next point is start, you know, going a little like may not expecting less of your veteran players, but kind of easing up on them. Don't put the all of the burden on them to carry this team and and start lengthening the leash a little bit on on the younger players. I, I, I'm kind of piggybacking on both of your points. Uh, I, my next point I had down was I want to see Philip for or not Philip Forsberg match. I want to see Philip Tomasino get a shot in a top six role for more than just one game. And the reason I say that kind of like what Emma was saying, like Andrew Burnett admitted, like a lot of the veteran players are burnt out. Like the top line can only do so much. And you're talking about this team needing secondary scoring 50% of the predators goals this year have come from five players. They need someone else other than Forsberg O'Reilly Nyquist, Yossi, and Sissons to score goals. And I think Tomasino can do that if you give him a chance. 
He's fifth on the team or better in goals per 60, points per 60, goals above expected, rebounds created above expected, and goals above shooting talent, which that's a metric that measures whether a goal each, each goal scored is based on random chance or the player's skill. Clearly, Tomasino, even though he's playing in a reduced role down in the bottom six, he's still producing like a top six player. Put him in the top six, give him a chance to go out there and really kind of sh- like to prove that he can be that top six player. You need secondary scoring. The kid, I think, has, has kind of built his confidence back up after he, it was kind of probably really low at the beginning of the year when he was being healthy, scratched a lot. And to Braden's point, you need to elevate some of your younger players and show like we talked last week. Andrew Burnett needs to give up a little bit of control and kind of trust some of these younger players. I think Tomasino is someone who's kind of earned at least the opportunity to go out there and show that he he deserves that trust. Well, and and you don't have to do it. Like, you don't have to tell the media, hey, look, yeah, we're not exactly. trying anymore to win games. Like, you don't say that out loud. You don't even have to directly communicate that to the players. But if you trade Alex Carrier and Tyson Berry in the next week, it's pretty clear what the direction of your franchise is. If you get rid of Yakov Trenin and Colton Sissons in a deal, it's pretty clear what the direction of the franchise is. We would not have Luke Evangelista as the player he is today if he was not forced into the role last year and got the experience he got last year. And so again, like, do you think the Chicago Blackhawks players go to the ice and the rink every night and are like, man, got to win tonight. <laughs> like they're just not, they're there focusing on developing. Like Connor, I Bedard, secretly hope that they do that because they suck and they don't but, win. But like, but do you see, but there's no pressure from the media. There's no pressure from the fans. There's no pressure from any sort of outside force weighing down on those young players. They are there to get reps every single night and to learn. And the organization is learning what they have. We, we, this organization needs to learn what they have. Like maybe it does include Cody Glass moving forward. Maybe it doesn't, but you need to learn by the end of the year. You need to know what he is. So, same thing with some of the other guys, like whether it's Parson and Tomasino, et cetera. Like you need to learn what you've got. Some of those players in, in Milwaukee that are ready to go to get a taste, find out what they are. You got to learn what they are. You got to collect data over these last 31 games. Elevate these guys, but don't put the pressure on them to like make a playoff run. Like that's not like uh, that that second half of that equation is important. And I thought it's why they played so loose at the end of last year and it's why we have some players again, I think Evangelista is the like the the name that like emboldens all of this or or exemplifies all of this, which is he wasn't supposed to be here last year that quickly and now he's not ever going back down again because he got the opportunity to sort of get some reps under his belt. I, I don't know. So uh, what else you guys got? I, I mean, I'm sure we've we've hit the trade. We've hit stop acting like a playoff team. We've hit uh, elevate young players, remove pressure. What else? Does anybody have anything else? Yeah, I think uh, kind of piggybacking off your last point with giving young guys more reps. And I, I actually thought of the Luke Evangelista situation last year, how he got the 25, 30, however many games it was in the NHL. And then he also got some of that playoff experience in Milwaukee too. Um, I I really think, and this is, I know there's people probably going to push back on this. I think you trade Kevin Lincoln and you call up a scar off because I feel like at this point, the season is all about preparing for next season. And I think, yeah, he would be a regular starter in Milwaukee and they're in the middle of a playoff run and I get all that. But I think getting NHL reps in this system coached by Andrew Burnett is more beneficial towards his development than chasing a Calder Cup playing for Carl, Carl Taylor. And that's no disrespect to Milwaukee. That's no disrespect to Carl Taylor. But I think the best thing for for Askarov's development is playing against the competition he's going to be playing against in the NHL and getting more time in Andrew Burnett's system because we've seen how it's affected Saros. He's been up and down. And I I, th- I would like to see 
a little bit more of like maybe a 60 40 split in goal too, because Saros already has 40 starts. He's on track, I think, to be at 64, 65, which is where he was roughly last year. There's there's no reason in a season when you're if you do start trading pieces and you do kind of embrace the rebuild and stop acting like a playoff team, there is no reason for Saros to be starting 65 plus games in a season. Give the guy more rest cut down on the wear and tear for him. Give a scar off some more time to develop and stuff. That way he's fully prepared. You say you give him, I don't know, 10, 12 starts in the, in the NHL, that's going to better prepare him going into being a backup next year than anything he could be doing in the AHL, in my opinion. And that was something I actually discovered, I guess, as I was going through looking at all the numbers from the first half of the season when deciding how to grade each of these players on their performance, looking at Lankinen as the backup, he only has 10 starts this season. He's appeared in 14 games. He only started 10 of them. I mean, whatever the reason is, you know, whether you're looking at, okay, if you're trying to trade him, then you got to give the guy some more auditions out there so people can see what he can do, because I don't think he gets nearly enough. You know, you hear Saros's name all the time, but I mean, Lankanen would be a very good, like, especially for a team maybe looking to make a, a legitimate playoff run. Lankanen could be a fantastic rental if you're looking for a for a solid backup goalie. And, you know, so so that's one reason that you would say, hey, let Lankanen play more or let whoever the backup is play more. Right. If it's a scar off, if you call him up, then take some of the wear and tear off of Saros, like you said, he doesn't need to be starting this many games. I know he likes to, I know every goalie wants to play every game, but realistically, and that all falls under the umbrella of stop acting like a playoff team because, and I'm not saying try to lose games or don't try, but again, I think the predators are in such a good position with their goaltending that so many teams in the NHL would envy. And so you have Saros as your starter, whether your backup is Lankanen or Askarov, either way, that's a hell of a backup. Like most teams are not that fortunate to have that situation. So I think the Predators need to use that more to their advantage. Well, let's be very honest about what is the most valuable asset to Yaroslav Askarov moving forward. Is it NHL ice time? Maybe. NHL t- facing NHL shooters? Maybe. I could also argue that it's Ben Vanderklok. <laughs> that that working with Ben Vanderklok every day for 31 games or whatever it might be, that be learning from UC Soros, being around UC Soros, watching film and studying and practicing around UC Soros, being around Ben Vanderklok and facing NHL shooters is probably more valuable to him and his development next year than it would be to be playing every night as the lead goaltender in Milwaukee. I, I I don't know. That's my, my, my thought is that that would be more beneficial for him. One thing I will say just to give credit, I absolutely agree that Ben Vanderklok is the man when it comes to this, but the admirals in Milwaukee, he's in his first year, their goaltending coach is Jason Barron. Who's been a student of Ben Vanderklok since he was a kid. And so that's probably the closest you're going to get, even being around the two of them at, you know, rookie tournament during rookie camp, training camp. I mean, they're like, that's the closest you can get 
to having Ben Vanderclock as your goalie like a mini, coach. Like with, a mini me? There's like a mini me in Milwaukee? Literally, literally, because <laughs> he's like kind of a smaller guy too. So it's like a mini Ben Vanderclock. Um, so I would say, and, and I know those two guys are, Benny and Jason are talking all the time. And so I, I get your point, you know, being around Ben Vanderclock is going to be hugely important for Askarov. But I also, I wouldn't say that that, alone should be the reason i i would agree more with michael that if you're gonna call him up it should be to get him more reps against nhl competition yeah. uh as, as opposed to the coaching stuff and, and again also side benefit of resting uc Saros for next year like again not that that's you know two or three extra but like you don't want to risk uc Saros if he is in fact coming back next year you're not going to trade him in the offseason or at the deadline and you're going to re-sign him then you have to start thinking about managing him and we've been saying this same thing about uc Soros for years that that this is too much you can't leave the nhl and game started every single year for like four straight years like it's going to take a toll and he's been remarkably healthy everyone knock on something right now he has been remarkably healthy considering what he's how many games he started but, but resting remember Remember when he was not healthy, that was because he started so many games. And then yeah. by the time he got to the playoffs, he got hurt. So we should use that as a cautionary tale. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Arizona. Coyotes. I'd also like to point out, too, on, on Askarov, I mean, he's got 17 wins, a 921 save percentage, and a 2.17 goals against average. He had, he had three straight shutouts not that long ago like this kid and i have a story up on national hockey now too if you want to just see some of the the, the crazy stupid good stuff he did at the ahl all-star classic like the the one save that he had um on monday night was crazy and then the fact that he made a no stick no glove save uh, on sunday night like go watch the videos it's well worth your time like the kid is damn impressive and the fact I, I do think you call him up because you get him reps and you prepare him to be the backup next season and i also think to Braden's point being around Ben Vanderclock is going to help a lot. And something I've noticed about Vanderclock, just as many development camps and, and rookie camps as I've, I've covered, when he's giving instruction to goalies, they don't break eye contact hardly ever. Sometimes when you're watching a head coach give give someone one-on-one -on -one instruction, like they're listening, they have their ear to them, but they're not really focused on them. Rarely ever does Ben Vanderclock not have someone's attention when he's giving one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do think that would really help out a lot. But I think the reps more so are more important for Askarov. And we can debate whether he's NHL ready or not. I think he's probably as close as he's going to get because I do think he he's right there. And I think now if you do everything we've mentioned in the last 20, 30 minutes, admit that you're not a playoff team, start selling off pieces, whatever, like the rest of the season should be solely about preparing guys like Askarov, Afanasiev. Who's who's this year's Luke Evangelista? Who are we preparing yeah. next year to have a full-time role? And I think that's what the rest of the season should be about. And I want to be very clear. Like, I'm not saying, you know, Ben Vanderklok is the reason you do it. I, I just think he could be one of the most important assets to Askarov. He's a, he's a bonus part to it. And so it's a combination of all of it, right? It's rest UC Soros, it's get NHL reps, face NHL shooters, and get to work with one of the best goalie coaches in the world. Like that—that that is the—that's that is together the reason he's up. Oh, by the way, it allows you to trade Lincoln and for whatever it is you want to get back in return. Like it, it just—it to me, there's there's pretty obvious sort of uh, orders of operation here and, and pros and cons to some of this stuff. So, um, anybody else got anything else? We we uh, we <laughs> I think we've I think we've made our point. 
on where we think the franchise should focus. I'll throw one more out there just because I would, I I'm contractually obligated. Uh, call up Igor Avanasiev, damn it. Give him a spot <laughs> for the rest of the season. The guy's got 19 goals and 38 points in 40 games. He's a, basically a point per game player. We're talking about how half of their goals have come from five players. You need more scoring. Give Igor a chance. That's all I'm saying. Who's who is traded off this team? I'm going to, I'm going to, we've got more shows to do before the March 8th deadline, but I wrote down Lincoln and Barry Fabro Carrier, those four. I don't, I would agree, except I say Fabro or Carrier. I feel like trade Carrier, I feel like you can get more for him. Keep Fabro. Yeah, I, w- I would say Barry and Lincoln for sure, and then probably Carrier. But uh, again, there, there's this big misconception. We've talked about this before that, that, Alex Carey is so much better than Dante Fabro. The numbers actually say Fabro has been the better player this year, but the, also the perception is that Carrier is the better player. Therefore his trade value is higher. So I, I think you get more for Carrier, And I, and I think once one of them is out of town because they both have been pitted against each other for like the last three or four years, like once one is gone, the other will thrive. So I, I think you keep Fabro just because there's a higher upside there. Well, well, I think too, it's talking about the Tanner Janot situation and the perception of Carrier as the better player. I mean, he had an unreal rookie season. Granted, that was a couple years ago now, but people probably still remember that. And he was on the NHL all rookie team and he, we saw that scoring touch that he had. And then obviously he had some injury trouble and then just kind of plateaued. And, and to your point, I that's another thing I came across when I was coming up with these player grades is that the numbers do say that Fabro's been the better player. I will say I, that's been another one of my not at all controversial opinions about players on this roster. I am a fan of Dante Fabro. I think, yes, there are certain things that he could do better or maybe do less of. Like He takes some really bad penalties and he's let some you know, bad goals go in, but I think that people tend to focus on those. Like for every one mistake he makes, he does 10 other things so well that people don't focus on because everyone just wants to call him out because he doesn't score goals. Okay, fine. But if you look at him, I mean, for how young he is, he's only 25. He's already had a four-year NHL career. He's consistent he's disciplined you know he stays healthy I think he can play anywhere throughout the lineup so that's hopefully no other teams are listening to me say this because I think that's why the Predators should keep him uh and and trade Carrier because the public perception of Carrier is that he's that you know good puck moving defenseman who can really shoot the puck which we haven't really seen that much but (laughs) supposedly he can and so you know capitalize on that that public perception trade him maybe trade him to a team like Edmonton or Vancouver a team that you know wants a scoring defenseman in their lineup as they try to make a run and and I I love Carrier you know as a person he's one of the nicest people like great let him go have a run at the playoffs I I would like that for him well Fabro is a very clear post-hype guy right you know Post hype as a term where you're highly touted, you come up, you maybe don't achieve this the success you expect, and then a couple of years go by, and all of a sudden you sort of hit that post hype buildup. For the record, though, the Predators like Carrier better, and the NHL likes Carrier better. So, well, I want to I want to add in too. I think a lot of people are missing the boat on the fact that Alex Carrier had years of development in Milwaukee. Dante Fabro jumped right from Boston University right into I believe the Preds were in a playoff yeah. push at that point. 
did not have any time to develop in Milwaukee. He signed his ELC. He had four games. And then the next season, he's starting 64 games, playing 19 minutes a night. He did not have that normal development ramp up time that most of the prayers defensive prospects have, which I think is why I have a little bit more grace for him. Yeah, he hasn't really developed into what I thought he was going to be when they drafted him. I thought he would be closer to Charlie McAvoy than he is to where he is right now. But I try to keep that in mind. Like he did not have any development time. He went straight from, I believe he was, they were Boston was, uh, they were in a NCAA tournament bid for two or three straight years. Like he went from chasing a national championship to right into playing 19 minutes and a regular role in the NHL. That's almost unheard of. So sure. Carrier might, the perception might be that he's better, but I think it's because Fabro hasn't really like hit his peak yet. He hasn't really hit his stride. Yes. He's, he's in the middle of his fifth full NHL season, but he hasn't really had the development time. He's played with a bunch of different uh, defensive partners and stuff like that. I, he is two years younger, and I believe he will. There's a better chance the Predators could re-sign him for cheaper in the offseason because he is an RFA than Carrier is. For all those reasons, I think Fabro makes the most sense. But just just keep that in mind. If you if you have the tendency yeah. to want to tweet something angry about Dante Fabro, remember the guy <laughs> had no time in Milwaukee. He basically just got thrown yeah. into the NHL right well, out of school. And and again, if the rest of the NHL likes. Carrier better if you're the Preds you want it to be floating out there that you like Carrier more whether it's whether it's true or not doesn't matter you want everyone to you want to use as much leverage as possible to get as much possible in return again I would trade them both so I I don't like I am in the if someone offers me a roast beef sandwich and a six-pack I am trading a player like does it help this team get better next year that's what matters. And if you think Carrier Fabro, to your point about Tommy Novak, if you think Carrier Fabro are like critical pieces of the top four defense core for the next five years, then you don't trade them and you resign them. If you if you don't think they are that critical, and you think a prospect is better off, or you think Stasny or Delgaizo can can you can learn about what they are this year, then you have to make the moves. I, I, I think I think we kind of all agree on that. So. All right, you yeah. guys want to ye- you guys want to go to Jasper's by the way. Do you guys want to yell about the Blackhawks for a second? Always. So, uh I don't I I should have I should I should cite my tweet here, but I for- I didn't see who I I need to, I need to look it up. But somebody threw this out and it got into my my timeline somehow. Ba- basically, I saw um the Sun-Times, I believe the Chicago Sun-Times was reporting that it looks like the Blackhawks are going to host the Chicago Blues at Wrigley Field. That seems pretty cool. Just in general, if you're a sports fan, not if you're a Predators fan necessarily, but in general, that's a pretty damn cool event. But what it means is, and Michael, I'll turn this over to you, but what it means is in the last two years, and going on three years now, the Chicago Blackhawks have been awarded a home outdoor stadium series game at Wrigley Field, which is going to be super cool. The number one overall pick with Connor Bedard, it's clearly a very talented building block piece. They made $2 million, right? Was that the number? They made $2 million off of, like, in season ticket sales, like, the second they drafted Connor Bedard. And it was something crazy. Which I believe was the exact same number that they got fined by the NHL <clears throat> for covering up assault. Ooh. Is this, where I, is this where I go ranting now? Yeah, this is your, the floor is yours, ah. man. And Emma, oh. please feel free to join the rant. <laughs> the, the Blackhawks have 14 wins, which is the fewest in the NHL. They are tied with the San Jose Sharks, who, by the way, lost their first 11 games of the season. You got spotted 11 games by the Sharks, and you still have the same amount of wins as they do. The only reason they got this this game is because of Connor Bedard. 
I would argue that the rest of the players in the roster aren't worth a damn. I think the the prospects that they have on their roster, I think, can be good. Like I think Korchinski and uh, whoever the other Nazar, the other center is, and Reichel. I think those guys can be good. But literally, this is they basically got handed this because of Connor Bedard. And we, I don't need to hash this all up. We've been through it before. Covering up sexual assault, you don't lose any draft picks, which you should have lost the draft pick you got, which is why you drafted Connor Bedard in the first place. But this is this is the NHL going and and look. With everything going on with hockey culture and the Hockey Canada stuff and the Kyle Beach stuff and just everything that's come out, even if you want to take other real world examples like the Vince McMahon stuff going on with WWE, like people keep doing stuff because they're allowed to get away with it. And by not punishing the Blackhawks with the Connor Bedard draft pick or just anything other than a $2 million fine, to be, let's be honest with you, and by letting them keep getting away with stuff like this and rewarding them, in fact, with, with a game like this and rewarding them with getting a draft pick to get Connor Bedard, they learn that there's not really any tough consequences for your actions. Therefore, they're going to keep doing this shit because they get away with it. So the NHL is fostering that culture. And I hate to say that because I love hockey and I love the NHL, but I hate the the, the culture that they're developing, that they're showing that you can you can be a scumbag as long as you can kind of cover it up and half-ass apologize and it's it's okay. So... I'm going to get off my soapbox because I can go on for another hour about this, but the the Chicago Blackhawks, I I said this last year when the Kyle Beach stuff came out, the Chicago Blackhawks should have got whatever the, the NCAA death penalty equivalent would have been in the NHL, whether that would have been losing a draft class, losing five first round, whatever it was, they should have been punished and made an example out of, and they weren't. And then you're telling me a year later after they draft the best prospect to come out, it's probably since Connor McDavid, that they're going to get rewarded it's it's just it's very insulting to fans and especially to people to to just anybody in general to women to just anybody that watches this stuff to think that like the NHL is allowing them to get away with stuff like this and rewarding them after everything that came out with the Kyle Beach situation. So I digress. I don't. I'm not really a fan of the Blackhawks. I don't really like what they're about. I hate the culture that they've perpetuated over there. And shame on the NHL for allowing them to continue to doing it and then rewarding them after. Emma, how do you think Michael feels about this? <laughs> Actually, very similarly to how I feel. So well said. I mean, this um, I could start. Here. I could start on another rant. That would probably be a whole another episode about the Kyle Beach situation, the Hockey Canada situation. I mean, the whole reason the Hockey Canada thing got covered up, or the whole thing, whole reason it was reopened was because it got covered up immediately, and people were paid to cover it up, and they, you know they will get rid of people in power like they did with the Kyle Beach situation in Chicago they got rid of you know the the people who were in power in during that time and thought okay like washed our hands of it we're good and we we got rid of the the people who were in charge so we're now guilt free it's like no no like you take a look at yourselves and look at and the the NHL I agree I love the NHL and I love hockey but the nhl is perpetuating this culture people do keep doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing to and you know like not just as hockey players but as human beings people should not be doing this to each other and they're doing it because they live in this universe where they know that they can get away with it and that's why so many people you know i hate seeing how many people are victim shaming the the woman in the hockey canada situation as well again this is something i'm very passionate about so i could go on forever but i think that that is precisely the point you really think that she wants to put herself through this like to to bring all of this up and be made 
made fun of and and all of these things. I think that this is why, like this and the Kyle Beach situation in Chicago, this is why victims don't come forward because they yep. see yep. what's happening. They're like, this is why, you know, if you're an actual victim, this is why you don't come forward because they know that the system is against them. Yep. And the system in this case is the NHL and hockey culture. So I agree. It is upsetting and it is insulting to, to see an organization like Chicago that, you know, has a proven history of, you know, misconduct to be rewarded in multiple ways like this. You know, it is, it is very upsetting. What's what, the what I hate about this is that in five years, you can talk about the Kyle Beach situation. You're gonna be like, whatever happened to the Blackhawks? And the answer is going to be, oh, they drafted Connor McDavid a year later. Then they hosted a Winter Classic two years after that. Like that's what's going to come from this. Yeah, there Connor. was a two million dollar fine, and that was it. Connor, yeah, they Bedard, made, sorry. They, yeah, they drafted. They drafted the best player of our generation. Got an outdoor game. Made all the money back, and are now competing for division championships. Yeah. Uh, I, I think we can just say fuck the Blackhawks. Um, so I'm going to end this on a on a on a on try to take both of your points and twist it into a positive for our community. Um, I've been on the board of a charity here in Nashville called Our Kids, and I should have done this at the beginning of the pod, but I forgot. So I'm going to do it now because it's more appropriate now anyway. So Our Kids is, is one of the largest clinics of its kind. It serves almost all of Middle Tennessee. It's like the third largest clinic in the country that serves um, long form sort of like psychiatric and medical evaluation of sexually abused children. And it is one of the largest clinics in the country. They, they treat almost 800 children a year. They've been around for over 30 years. And if you want to support them, ourkidscenter.com is the website. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because Soup Sunday is happening on March 3rd, uh, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Tickets are very, I think they're like 20 bucks, 25 bucks. They sell out. But go to ourkidscenter.com. You scroll down right there. Tickets for our, for Soup Sunday. It's like 30 of the best restaurants in Nashville coming together at Nissan Stadium, uh, making creative soups, competing for a championship. There's all kinds of musicians that are going to be there and uh, we have all kinds of great judges. We've been doing it for over, over 30 years. It is a truly amazing event. I bring my kids every year, my wife and I. So buy some tickets. The money goes to help our kids treat kids in our community that have to deal with this kind of stuff. So I, I don't know. I think we can twist these stupid-ass Blackhawks, and we can say, look, support this this group here, and come out and eat a bunch of great food. So Soup Sunday, ourkidscenter.com is the website. Uh, come hang out and drink, eat some good soup and help kids in the area. So there you go. I think that's a good way to twist twist the Blackhawks and <laughs> do some good. Do some good. Um, good job. But thank you both of you guys for, for speaking your mind on that. I think it's appropriate. So anyway, uh, thehockeywriters.com, nationalhockeynow.com. Go check them out. Go to Jasper's as well. Support our kids. Come out to Soup Sunday as well. Uh, Emma and Mike, anything else? We good? I'm good. Don't, good. don't lock yourself out of your, of your <laughs> building or your car. Check your gas tank. And, of course, the old three-point check. Phone, wallet, keys before you jump into the pool. <laughs> three-point three check. For Emma and Michael, I am Braden. Thank you for listening. Uh, have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next week.